0: This is episode number 149 with Greta Rose Van Reel of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: I just want to say thank you so much for your time and attention and listening to my soothing voice from wherever you are around the world. I hope you enjoy this Australian accent. I know most of you guys are not from Australia tuning in. I know we have a very, very global audience. So I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you. And please do let any of your entrepreneurial startup founder friends know about the Founder Podcast. It really helps us grow all right so now let's talk about today's guest she's a fellow australian a fellow melbourneite her name's greta rose van Riel. she's one of the smartest female founders that i know out of melbourne she's absolutely crushing it she's a master of e-commerce she's a master of growth and marketing and product. She uh, is a very, very smart person that I'm lucky enough to call a friend. And uh, we're having her back actually for the second time round of the Founder Podcast. Uh, Now, there's a few reasons that we're having her back a second time round. The first reason is her episode is actually the most downloaded episode that uh, we've ever had. It's had over 40,000 downloads, uh, which is pretty awesome um, considering you know we have only been doing this podcast for just under two years and then another reason is if you follow along you must be thinking Nathan is beating on dead horse but if you are just listening in we wanted to know how we could serve our audience further you guys told us that you you know wanted to start a business didn't know where to start a a big proportion now this is not a whole audience but a decent sized proportion wanted to know how to start a business but didn't know where to start and you said you most likely wanted to produce an e-commerce product. At Founder, we're not masters of e-commerce or physical products so I had to find someone and I twisted Greta's arm to teach a course because she has four multi-million dollar e-commerce brands and I wanted to invite her back to just talk about her new projects that she's working on and also this awesome course called Start and Scale that we're working on with her on. So this course is coming out Monday 29th. If you do want to be notified when it goes live or you do want to get access to it, make sure you sign up at foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce. And if you do enjoy this interview, make sure you do check out this course because Greta is a super smart person and we go, she goes through her whole framework and repeatable system That she's used to build these brands and build these businesses. And in this episode, we talk about influencer marketing with her. And she is working on a SaaS product, uh, which is called Hay. And uh, it sounds like an amazing influencer platform that I'm going to be using, which I highly recommend that you check out also. So I promise you, after you listen to this interview, you'll be like, wow, how can I learn more from Greta? especially if you guys want to start a business, you don't know where to start, you're listening to this now, please do go and check out foundermag.com forward slash e-commerce. All right, guys, that's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. I know you will. Now let's jump into the show. The first question I ask uh, everyone that comes on, and this is your actual second uh, appearance, I don't even think we had a second appearance, is how did you get your job? How did I get my job?
1: I got my job now. I guess back in 2012, uh, I was working at a in a digital marketing role at a print turning digital agency, and I just every day when I'd go home from work at five ish, I would just kind of I'd be coming up with different ideas all the time and wanting to kind of pursue those at the same time, and. I guess it was just something that turned from a passion project or a hobby into something that I was able to pursue full time. And that was Skinny Me Tea.
0: Gotcha. So how did you get started on Skinny Me Tea, getting into e-commerce? What made you want to start a business back in 2012? Because <laughs> yeah, did you read any books or, or what, what were actually you thought, oh, okay, well. No,
1: you know, no. Yeah. I was just always coming up with different ideas. Um, and kind of half pursuing them but not really thinking I definitely didn't think about the word entrepreneurship the idea of starting a business anything like that that was not very common discourse back then in Melbourne in 2011 2012 it just it was nowhere near as popular basically i just had an idea that resonated with me so strongly that i just knew that it was something that i was going to have to pursue and uh that idea was of a tea talk, So a detox with tea. I'd been trying a lot of different teas on the market and making my own blends from different herbs that I'd buy like in bulk from our local health food store. And I'd just been playing with those and people at work started asking me whether they could try my like detox with tea. And it wasn't until I kind of thought of that word and that concept tea talks, that I could really, that was kind of my light bulb moment where I could kind of identify with something and it was this concrete term and I was like this is what I'm doing this is what this product is and this is what I'm going to sell Um, but basically it just it grew quite organically because people from work were asking me whether they could try my detox tea so detox in the end Um, and I was getting a lot of Facebook messages from even their friends and stuff and I was like this is getting a bit out of hand I can't really manage this like as it is, so I'm just going to create an online store. So I literally just Googled like e-commerce software, read a few different reviews, decided to go with Shopify and created my store. I think it took me about eight hours to create the store with a blog and some information pages like on the ingredients and their effects um, and just put our single product up to begin with, which was the 14-day detox, and started selling from there.
0: Gotcha, and you've done multiple extremely successful e-commerce brands. Can you tell us how far you took Skinny Me Tea, and and uh, yeah, let's really talk about because we're going to get more into influencer marketing, how you've done it, uh, which I think is really really key because it seems to be a recurring theme across all of your brands that you've scaled to multiple millions of dollars in turnover. But yeah, how far did you take Skinny Me Tea, and can you tell us about some of your other brands?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Skinny Me Tea grew very quickly in a kind of, it felt like an uncontrolled manner. Uh, The scariest part about the business was how quickly it was growing and not being able to fulfil orders and um, running out of stock all the time and all those kind of problems, which were good problems to have as the money was coming in. Um, We were able to grow quite quickly. We scaled from nothing uh, at the very start. I started Skinny Me Tea with $23 in my bank account, so I didn't put in much money to the company basically only for web hosting i think like uh the shopify was like a free trial back then and it was just kind of to host our like support email and stuff so basically we started on a pre-sale model so i would get the orders during the week while i was at work and then i'd fulfill them on the weekend and then send them out which meant that we were always cash flow positive like we were always getting money before we had to spend money so that was kind of how we started out and we scaled from there really quickly. In the first six months, we were doing over $600,000 US dollars a month. And I started to realise how much money the company was making and how I kind of needed to start to focus on that more so because I was still working at my full-time job at the time for the first like two to three months. And it just kind of took that realisation from when we went from like, I was making with the tea company, like my daily wage in an hour or like my weekly wage in an hour. And then I was making my monthly wage in an hour sometimes. And I was like, okay, this is really something that I need to focus on. So I quit my job without telling anybody. I asked for some advice from friends and family and everybody said, do not quit your job. So I just didn't tell anybody and quit anyway uh, and told them after the fact. And I think I was most scared that I wouldn't have enough to do in a day, which seems insane now. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, but I kind of have been getting all this done, you know, in the meantime, what if I just like sleep all day or something? I don't know. Like I'll be on, you know, constant holiday, which was the biggest misconception I've ever had. Like the more work you do, the more you've realized that you have to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So You've taken that. You've taken that business, turning over multiples of millions, and that wasn't enough though. Um, <laughs> you've, you've started three, more, three three more brands that are, that are killing it. Can you tell us just about them, and and we're going to talk about yeah, you know sure. the, the the key pieces. Uh, you've got over seventeen million followers on Instagram, social media. You you know the queen of Instagram, absolutely crushing it. We talked about that. Uh, last time you came on, um, but I'm really want to hone in on influencer marketing and and how you've done it because this is really, really key. And uh, now you're moving on to building a SaaS platform, which we're going to talk about as well, which I'm really curious about.
1: Well, influencer marketing, I guess, is how I built those 17 million Instagram followers. But going back to the previous question, uh, the next brand that I helped co-create with my co-founder, was The Fifth Watches. And basically, we're a watch company that is exclusive by time rather than by price. Uh, so, we only sell on the fifth of each month, the five days. That was kind of our point of difference. So, each month, we kind of spend the five days of the month focusing on sales. And then 25 days of the month, we get to focus on you know, customer satisfaction and building demand and exclusivity and growth through that that means which is quite unusual for a brand.
0: Yeah, I see. And um when it comes to just operationally your company, is it difficult um because you you're running like a launch pretty much every single month or is is it fairly standardized across the operation site?
1: It was really difficult to begin with, the first, you know, maybe it, it's been running for over um 2 years now though. So the first maybe 5 to 10 launches were always the most difficult because we didn't really have our processes locked down very well. It would just be like a lot of moving parts at the same time and just having to act very very quickly to keep up with those Um, and of course it still always is something always changes every month but basically the hardest part about the model is keeping that demand uh, going each month which is mostly through communications and of course you know a bit through acquisition as well.
0: Yeah, got you. Um, No, I think that model was genius uh, just around the scarcity-based selling and then also using it as a form of, um, as you call, UVP.
1: Well, it was kind of a bit of an accident to begin with. Um, What happened was we had generated a sign-up list of about 8,000 people before launch and we only had about 1,200 timepieces to sell. So what happened was We launched and we basically sold out of most of the styles within the first day of launching and we actually did over $100,000 in that single day of sales on our first ever day. So that was really, really exciting and it was also my co-founder's birthday that day so he was having the best day of his life (laughs) Um, (laughs) which was amazing and it was his first business. So it was just awesome to get to experience that with him. Yeah. So basically we sold out and we're like, we don't want to be coming in and out of stock all the time as we grow. We can't afford right now because watches are quite an expensive per unit cost product. We're like, we can't afford, we don't want to put in like a lot of capital into something we don't know will continue to succeed. So we're just going to grow as we do. And we've realized that by limiting that to the five days a month and saying, or until sold out previously, we could kind of grow and use that, like, usually that would be a pain point, like running in and out of stock or running out of product. But we decided that, like, we'd harness this way to use that to our advantage. So rather than saying, like, oops, we're out of stock, sorry for the inconvenience, it was more like, yes, we are out of stock we're transparent about this. We only have limited numbers of stock and you need to get in quickly. And that worked really, really well because for the first like six months of sales, we were selling out really, really quickly, sometimes within a few hours, which meant that also we're building this incredibly loyal customer base because those people that were buying literally stayed up until midnight Australian time or got up at like 5 to 7 a.m around the world to shop our store at that time. so these people are highly motivated buyers and we had great retention from those as well
0: mm. you know I think it's absolutely genius um, kind of like what Adidas do with the Yeezys you know your Kanye Kanye shoes you know or um, you're just so rare you know and you just yeah. want yeah gotcha so what happened next you, you that wasn't enough you start some other companies too right?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, then I was working on Nicheify at the same time, which is now our product Hay, uh, still owned by the Nicheify company group, but yeah, Hay is the influencer marketing product and we were working on that because digital products like physical products take a lot less time than a digital product to develop. So we had to develop all that software. So that was kind of behind the scenes working at the same time as we built that. And we launched another company called Drop Bottle. And that company was a bit different. So we launched Drop Bottle off the back of an audience rather than developing that audience for the product. So it was kind of a reverse launch. Like people talk about product market fit. I kind of have a bit of a semantic problem with that term, I guess. I prefer to think of it as market product fit because if you launch a product to no audience it's you know it's not really going to develop into a brand or anything sustainable you know you're not going to get the sales that you thought you were you're going to be you know quite disappointed so the idea that you develop the market before or at the exact same time as your product right along the way as you're building it is just a much better concept in my eyes so bottle was the perfect example of market product fit where I developed a really engaged Instagram community around the concept of detox waters. So basically just water that you infuse with fruit to, um, you get some of the added benefits from the fruit and it's just a really kind of fun, tasty way to stay hydrated, I guess. Um, and so I had this community that had about 900,000 followers on Instagram and, It was really engaged and just a lot of comments as well as like engagement so we could tell that people were really identifying with the concept. So we were like, okay, we've got this really engaged audience, like what product can we offer them? So we decided to create a detox water drink bottle, so a fruit or tea infuser drink bottle uh, that's also quite fashionable. It's glass, um, double-walled glass, glass. And like the gold lid has been the most popular. Um, So it's kind of like a fashionable and functional drink bottle. Um, And we also give a percentage of sales of that bottle to help like fresh water initiatives around the world. Recently built a well in Uganda, I think it was. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. Why did you decide to do that? I have always been interested in developing socially conscious brands, uh, whether that's usually it's just behind the scenes and it's just you know things like going with a more ethical supplier or sustainable kind of product parts and you don't often get to celebrate that as much but I think that you know kind of having that social conscious um, image at the forefront of your brand kind of develops a different relationship with your customer and it you know, it helps the discourse of your brand in general. Like you can talk about completely different issues-based topics rather than just the general, you know, functionality of the product and effects of lemon water on your body. Like it just lets you participate in a completely different conversation and paradigm to which you would generally be able to participate.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I think that's really smart. Um, and you can build like a, a stronger relationship with that person as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think my parents really inspired that in me. Uh, They're both social workers. So I grew up in quite a socially minded family. Like as a five-year-old, my Christmas dream was for this one politician. I won't mention his name. I'm actually now friends with him. um, (laughs) To to have... Something dropped on the roof of his house to make him a nice person, this special <laughs> magic cream. Um, and I told him this and this is how we actually became friends because we sat down next to each other at a dinner for picture partners and uh. I sat down next to him and was like, you almost shut my primary school and my dream as a five-year-old was for you to become a good person. And he was like, whoa, okay.
0: <laughs> wow, that's so funny. Oh, you so, the yeah, I
1: came, from, <laughs> I came from a bit of a... Um, yeah, kind of a left wing, um very socially minded background where my parents both work in government roles as well. So I've always been brought up in that way. Like when we started Skinny Me Tea, I always tried to give back as much as possible as well. So we've given, we had a charity gala for the Kids Cancer Project and donated $25,000 from that night to the Kids Cancer Project and just a few other little things. Um, My mum always comes across like little initiatives that you can do that are a bit more behind the scenes. Like when we first started Skinny Me Tea, a girl needed a really expensive wheelchair and I think it was about $16,000 and there was no way her family would have been able to afford that, but she couldn't even go to primary school without the new chair because she was in too much pain from sitting in the normal chair each day. And so, you know, we were able to donate that on the company's behalf and just little things like that that make you of feel like you're doing some social good at the same time i mean all of the companies do have a like skinny me tea even like we've helped so many people achieve their health goals and we constantly get incredible feedback and reviews of people saying like i was you know so unfit and out of shape before i started this and it's really helped me turn around my whole headset about health and you know i was very overweight and now i've lost you know the tea helped me kickstart you know, losing about 20 kilos and things like that, like we get some incredible stories. So the products are often rewarding in themselves, but then it's also nice to like give back where possible as well.
0: Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash Founder Plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now let's jump back in the show. Yeah, yeah, it is It is great. Um, I agree. And, and I want to do more of that kind of stuff with Founder. We did it with our book. and We gave a significant amount of money to... Uh, this uh, cause that uh, helped people uh, obtain, you know, fresh meals uh, in South Africa. Oh wow! So, you know, it's. I think it's really, really cool to do that. That kind of stuff, especially when yeah. you have the the, I guess, responsibility. Once you build up a brand, or you you know, build up a presence, or your company's doing okay for itself, I think that's important.
1: Yeah, of course. So. That
0: wasn't enough though. You you did want to build a SaaS based product, and, and it's actually a platform as well. So it's an end end marketplace. Um, to, to talk to us about that because because the recurring theme, you know, with you and, and these brands is is you have a repeatable framework that's proven, and uh, you know we're, you're actually working with us at Founder to to work on actually teaching that. It's going to be our first course. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. We've got tons of stuff coming out around that but you you know a recurring theme has been this influencer marketing piece and uh you've created a platform because that platform that you wanted to use didn't exist
1: yeah basically like you said it has been a repeatable kind of formula and integral like central to that formula has been influencer marketing every time and it's probably been the topic that i've got the most questions about while i've been growing the businesses um I'll chat later a little bit with you about um, like some of the case studies with our companies like launching the fifth or when we discovered like how powerful influencer marketing was for Skinny Me Tea but basically being able to create a platform that automates a lot of that process has just been really helpful because it's a really difficult area to kind of just explain like I was finding it really difficult if I was doing consulting or advisory to be able to advise on every area because it's, in some ways, it's quite simple and others, it's very complex. So it's kind of the great thing about Hay is that it can take you from, you know, the most simple kind of campaign where you're simply reaching out to an influencer, offering your product in return for content or a post through to much more complex situations like offering um, affiliate commissions off products or revenue share. So uh, that's kind of the way that the platform came to be. It was just basically a pain point in the market and, again, just scratching an itch because it was something that I needed for my influencer managers to help them do their jobs better um, and to help me do my job better just by automating some of the manual processes that we have to go through that the main thing was just kind of it was centralising that communication. Influencer marketing is very relationships-based and it's very communication-driven. And by creating an end-to-end platform where you can go in, start a campaign and finish it with a payment and be submitted the work to review and those metrics to track all on the one platform was just the most helpful part because everybody knows that has started an influencer marketing campaign without using a platform that just the communication becomes very decentralized very quickly you're communicating across multiple platforms like email or Facebook text messaging WhatsApp and it quickly gets out of control and just a lot of Excel spreadsheets and I just thought like this is not the way that I want my team operating this is not the way that I want to be doing this and there's got to be a simpler way so we kind of started working with developers to get those concepts and what I did kind of every day out of my head into a platform that other people could use and be scalable. So it was kind of a way of scaling my knowledge into a platform that could help other brands grow in the same way that we had.
0: Mm. So why is influencer marketing so key now, if you if you do have any kind of brand? Because we've done it at Founder and uh, we've done it like reasonably well as well, not nowhere yeah. near to the scale that you guys have done it, but it's been incredibly key for us, to, you know, to build our social. Yeah.
1: No, it's just a different market. I think you guys have done a really great job with influencer marketing. Just, I think like the main importance is that constantly the trust of a consumer for a brand is decreasing over time. Brands used to be more of a trusted authority point for a consumer, and now consumers kind of are feeling disillusioned by a lot of brand history. Uh, So I think like the main importance of influencer marketing is that influencers not only have an audience's attention, but they also have that audience's trust. And so it's kind of that trust component that makes influencer marketing so important and that makes it so effective as well. So I think, like, the main importance of influencer marketing is how effective it is on your company's bottom line. It's the most effective digital marketing technique that there is right now in terms of ROI.
0: Yeah, wow, that's a that's a big claim. Um, <laughs> can like, uh, h- how do you measure ROI? That's um, that's 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 something that comes up a lot.
1: Well, there are a lot of kind of different ways to measure social ROI. It depends what your goals basically are and whether those goals are kind of more follower and social growth-based or sales-based. And you can track and manage both of those. A tool that we're building into Hay right now um, for our follower-based campaigns um, is the ability to track follower growth based off the new followers that you gained after an influencer's post that used to be their followers and are now your followers. So basically the algorithm would do their followers minus your followers equals followers gained. So you can see like that you like have gained 56 followers off one influencer post and 1,020 off another. And it just makes it very, very clear that the ROI um, in terms of social growth was much higher for one influencer than another. And often it you might be really surprised by the influencers. We find, especially for micro-influencers, because they have that higher level of trust and because their feeds aren't as saturated with branded content, that sometimes they provide really surprising results. So it's just great to have that tool there to track
0: yeah no that's that that part alone is just game changing. Um, I've never found a tool that can actually do that, which um, that just just even that part alone doesn't exist right now in the marketplace, correct?
1: No, no. I just use a spreadsheet tool that does it based off like a code right now and it's really hideous. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be good to have it you know put into our beautiful Lex, um, which is kind of one of the things' with, prided ourselves on for um, this version of the product. It's just a really simple, straightforward UX.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So if people want to know more about how to use influencer marketing to grow their brand, to grow their business, uh, is it um, B2C mainly or can B2B do it? So I'd um, love, love to hear your thoughts there.
1: Yeah, I think that it B2C, it's going to usually – be more effective it just depends on the audience of the influencer basically like an influencer is someone that has an audience's attention basically and can influence their audience on a brand's behalf to buy the products they recommend so if that audience happens to have a lot more business owners in it like founders for example then that's when you're an influential Body, or you're an influencer in the B2B network. And we are looking to integrate LinkedIn to Hay as well um, so that we can harness kind of that more B2B aspect too with LinkedIn influencers.
0: Yeah, that would be really, really smart because there are people like in the B two B space that you know, like have big followings around you know SaaS or big followings around yeah. um, consulting or you know, like there's like Richard Brands. Like, I I don't know if you do you do you think that you would get business leaders to to connect to the platform to do influence deals?
1: Yeah, I think that once we implement our kind of more co marketing aspect, that's when that will come in a lot more. So basically. The point of difference for Hay to other platforms in the market, I think like I'm in kind of a bit of a unique position to comment on influencer marketing in that I've been on the brand side, representing my brands and also having those 17 million Instagram followers. I've been on the influencer side before. So I can kind of understand the pain points and complexities from both sides of the market. And the main thing that I've noticed that is lacking in the market right now is the understanding that influencer marketing is a multi-directional relationship it's not just a brand sending an influencer a brief and saying this is what you need to do like there needs to be the component for an influencer to be able to pitch to a brand and then also for multiple influencers or like maybe a bit of a kind of content crew like you know this is our hairstylist this is our makeup artist this is our photographer this is the model blah 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 this is our videographer to be able to then go pitch their creative concept to a brand. And then also the next stage of the product is then multiple brands being able to collaborate on a single campaign. So say there's a lot of brands that are often identified with other brands or where competition isn't going to be an issue. I've always been a lot more into collaboration over competition. So it's that kind of collaborative aspect that a frank body like my sister's company could team up with a skinny me tea because we have really similar audiences, but it wouldn't be detracting from either company's sales. And we could split the cost of that influencer marketing campaign. We could say as long as, you know, if you're franking, you know, like if you're doing a body scrub, that's quite detoxifying for your skin. And if you're drinking a detox tea at the same time, that wouldn't be an unusual thing to happen. People often use our products side by side. So why not team up to create that content at scale at half the price. So it's multiple brands being able to team up like that, like a sunglasses company and a T-shirt company. The opportunity is kind of endless in that way. So I think it's like connecting brands to collaborate, brand to brand at the same time as connecting influencers to collaborate with brands, brands to collaborate with influencers. But then also the next step after that is the influencer influencer collaborations. So It's the fact that you need to constantly be focusing on your growth as an influencer and you should be spending 80% of your time as an influencer, focusing on your organic engagement and 20% focusing on your branded content. So that 80% of your time can be spent collaborating with other influencers that are around the same size as you and around the same breach. So we've already got this platform with like highly engaged influencers to be able to connect those influences to collaborate at the same time to help grow their social accounts, also to help show them like in metrics and data based off the other tool that we're implementing with the um, tracking of followers, how that's faring for them will be really, really important. So it's kind of, it's connecting this market in multiple directions.
0: Mm, yeah, no, that's fascinating. Yeah. Cause as influencers, like, you know, you see all the YouTubers, they all collaborate, like they're all from LA. They're all getting in each other's yeah. videos, like they're all collaborating. They don't see each other's competition. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same thing.
1: Yeah, gotcha. which is great. And it's like fashion bloggers that hold those um those giveaways where you have to follow one of them and then you follow the next one and the next one and the next one on Instagram. For example, like they'll be giving away a Gucci bag or something like that. And uh, they all collaborate together, maybe like five of them, and share each other's reach in that way. Mm.
0: So talk to me when, you, let's say you have a physical product business um, or, you know, you have a digital product, but generally physical product. Let's go for physical products.
1: Yeah, let's go for physical now. Yeah,
0: let's go for physical. Pay? Do you pay an influencer or do you just send them the product for free?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the bind right now. There is the product for post campaign, which um, is really beneficial in terms of the influences that you're going to get to apply to that campaign really are just interested in your product and want to post on your company. The issue with that campaign is influencers may not always post on your product once you've sent them it, whereas if you pay them, it's a business relationship. Um, if you've only sent them a product, it's kind of hard to follow up in any kind of meaningful way you can't say like I sent you this you might hate it and you need to post on it now but that's the really important part too like whenever you're doing an influencer marketing campaign it's important that the influencer really does care about your production it does resonate with them so you kind of need to find that happy medium like Influencers should be turning down campaigns from brands, even if they're paid, if they don't identify with that product or it doesn't align with their values. And that's what will separate like, the influencers that are actually influential from just people with a large social reach. So once influencers start to post multiple products, like if they're posting five watch companies within five days, or if they're posting you know, three different tea companies in a week saying that they're doing all of their detoxes. It's just not realistic. And it's kind of keeping that authentic relationship with the brand at the forefront. So for the product for post versus paid campaigns, I'd say often paying them is going to be... Less work in the long run, product for post is a lot of relationship management. You need to stay in constant contact with the influencer, making sure, you know, they've received the product, that they're happy with it, that they know how to use it. And that's all normal, but you shouldn't have to get to the point where, you know, you're following up whether they've posted for you or not. And a paid campaign kind of just takes that element out of it. Um, It's just going to be a lot easier to follow up. And that relationship can be more ongoing. Usually a product for posts, you're only going to get one post from the influencer on the product, which may not be enough to nurture their audience or educate them on the product. So you might want to enter into more of a paid campaign where you set up three posts that are kind of like your nurturing email series, like a drip, like welcome to the product. And then here are some of its benefits and here are my results. Mm, often like three really good steps to kind of go through for the product you know it might be like the unboxing and like the excitement of initially receiving your watch and then like the benefits of the watch like I've been getting so many compliments on it and then like a down the track kind of one it's like I haven't taken it off that's like an average kind of three-step campaign for um an influencer and I just think that A lot of influencers also will only accept paid campaigns and they might be the more professional influencers. But at the same time, a product for post campaign is a lot better for a micro-influencer, whereas paid campaigns are better for those macro, larger um, audience influencers.
0: And you said the micro, the micro influencers, the ones that, you know, might be just starting to get a following, are they the ones that you really want to tap into where their following is quite big? They're not doing that much posting. They've got a reasonable, like a really, really strong, deep trust with their audience the most, or, or have you seen results with really, really big ones too? Like maybe a Kylie Jenner, like, yeah, I'm really curious around that.
1: Yeah. I think that a lot of people speak about their really high results with, macro influencers like Kylie Jenner like oh we sold out but they may have only had like 50 units in stock to sell out and a post with Kylie Jenner costs $300,000. I haven't heard one brand actually regenerate all of the sales they spent on that one post with a macro influencer like a Kylie Jenner. So like the celebrity as an influencer side isn't often going to work unless you have like a personal relationship with that influencer which is very unusual like if Kylie Jenner happened to be like your cousin's best friend then great go for it but the great part about macro influences is macro influences influence your micro influences so it's more that the macro will influence the other influences that you might want to work with so often there's a macro influencer of a market So say Sydney foodies, the macro influencer of that market might be your Lychee Pan, for example, who has a much, you know, a higher following. I think she's got over 500,000 followers, very engaged. And every Sydney foodie knows that Lychee Pan is kind of like a go-to person in terms of content styling, audience engagement. So if you do engage a macro-influencer, you can use that as leverage to engage your micro-influencers, plus your micro-influencers will have had exposure to your brand through seeing it on Leachy's feed. So you're much more likely to then be able to pursue them for just a product for post or a cheaper post than usual. So I often just use macro-influencers to influence your micro-influencers. Micro-influencers influence your customers. Gotcha. So the micro-influencers will influence kind of like your user-generated content. Um, So a great way to kind of get users and your customers to create the images they want is by using those micro-influencers for constant content generation and then your customer will use that as inspiration to then create content based off that.
0: Yeah. Cause UGC is so key. You, you like as, as a great way to sell, you need to have influencers, yeah. you need to have everyday people like me or you using the product yeah. because that's what people relate yeah. to the most.
1: Cause that's the real results and reviews. People are increasingly understanding that influencers are paid um, or influencers were given that product. So It's an influencer's job now to stay as authentic and real and organic with their audience as possible, and that is their role. And it is brand's job to allow that influencer to kind of propagate their creative direction. Like you should not be saying post this with these exact words or like it's really unfair on the influencer and it's not going to have good results for your brand. An influencer knows their audience.
0: Mm. Can you give us some case studies, um, just to wrap it back to like yeah, yeah, some things sure. that you've done with yeah. with your brands?
1: Well, for the fifth, for example, um, we were lucky enough to have thirty sample pieces, timepieces, to send out to kind of some key influencers in our market before launch, and we sent those to a few kind of more macro influencers that had larger audiences that we already had good relationships with, uh, but. It was, again, unpaid.
0: On Instagram and YouTube? Sorry to interrupt. On Instagram.
1: Just Instagram at that stage. Now we use a lot more YouTube. But at the time, it was just influencers on Instagram and mostly micro-influencers for content. So we would have sent out about 10 to influencers with maybe over 100,000 followers and 20 to influencers with under 50,000 followers. And those influencers with under 50 were able to generate awesome content, awesome branded content for us to start posting and using to um, generate demand around the product. And that resulted in our amazing first day of sales because at the same time we were very cognizant of the fact that social followers are traffic at the same time, but the best kind of conversion that you can get um, without it being a sales conversion is a sign-up via email. So at the same time, all of our influencers were pushing um, their followers to sign up to our wait list. At the same time, like that was their general call to action and that was our call to action on all of our posts. It was kind of like, we're launching soon, sign up, you know, and we'll let you know when we launch. And so then we were able to kind of garner that 8,000 really, really qualified leads. Because obviously as we sold out and we only had a 1,000 timepieces, you know, that that's a really, really high conversion rate, one out of eight to buy off a wait list. Usually I'd say it's one to 20 or even potentially one to 40 off a wait list. Will yes. Um, so we were able to kind of wow. generate um, those qualified leads. Um, and the great thing about influencer marketing as well is that studies have shown that, influencer marketing leads to 37% higher retention rate of customers at the same time. So, because those leads are more qualified, because they already have that identifiable kind of feeling towards your brand when they're signing up, they can remember kind of why they signed up in the first place or which image, um, you know, resulted in that sign up. And so, then they identify that with your brand on a more ongoing kind of basis um, because they've got that emotional attachment as well to your product. So basically sending out to those 30 influencers before launch was the only marketing we did. Wow. And we did a hundred thousand dollars in sales. We didn't do any Facebook ads. The only marketing was gathering those emails and then just sending out an email saying we've now launched. Well, we had like five hours to go and then the launch email.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, what about so other so things? the
1: ROI? And that was, $4 paid? Um, well, with Skinny Me Tea to begin with, it was really interesting because it was back in 2012 um, that we discovered the kind of the effectiveness of influencer marketing. And back then, brands basically were not influencer marketing on Instagram. It wasn't a known kind of thing. Like brands had done it on YouTube and stuff before, but it still wasn't even given that kind of term or name as an influencer at that stage so in 2012 an influencer maybe had like a thousand followers on instagram which just shows the scale now so a thousand would have been relevant to like 500,000 followers now so what happened was a girl from Tasmania bought our tea just because she was interested in it and I'd been engaging with her a bit on social as well answering some questions and we followed her and would like her photos and stuff stay engaged. And so she purchased our tea and because I was like all over the brand, I um was (laughs) involved in every single little part because I was an obsessive freak. Um (laughs) I (laughs) yes, I was I was pretty special. I wouldn't even let anybody touch the customer service for the first six months. I was on customer service like eight hours a day responding (laughs) to every email because I thought that it made me a bad founder if I let anybody else do anything. So that was that's a good <laughs> a lesson. A <little> bit silly. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good lesson. I've definitely learned delegation now. But because I'm on top of the brand, like one of the main things in the setup is to kind of track where your growth is coming from. And, you know, we all know that. If you don't know how you're growing, then there's no way to replicate that from there. So basically I saw that this girl had posted on us and then we had our best day of sales ever that day. And we made over $1,000 in that day of sales and we would never done that before. Like we cracked that kind of number. This was like I think in the first month. Yeah, it must have been just like a couple of weeks in or something actually. Um, And so then when I was going through Instagram all the time because I would go through and follow and unfollow the community like I kind of spoke about in my first podcast with you guys, like how we kind of, you know, did don't scale to scale our community. Like just manually going through and following and following, doing all those kind of processes that automated now. But yeah, so every time I'd see somebody that fit our audience and demographic, like a young, health conscious female with over a thousand followers, and who was out of high school too, was one of my criteria. She had to be over eighteen. Every time I'd see them, I'd screenshot them and then I'd reach out to them on Instagram. There was no direct messaging then. So I'd just literally just write in a comment, like I'd love, you know, to grab your email and send you some tea. And the response rate was huge then. Like I'd say 90 to 95% of people would respond saying they'd love to. So it's really different to now that all different companies are kind of involved and there might be like, there's like 200 different tea talks companies now, whereas then there was only us. So like you're competing against that market at the same time. And like your question earlier about paid versus product for post, if there's 200 different tea companies and they're all paying people and you just send someone your product, it's not going to work unfortunately anymore. So like it's quite unusual. It will be dependent upon your product. If it's a fashion item, for example, and it's quite unusual and there's not that many other brands doing exactly what you're doing, they might get away more with the product for post, but now payment is becoming more and more of an expectation. And that's completely fair as well. Influencers do do more than just posting something to their feed. Like a lot of them are incredible content creators that have to take that photo on, you know, their camera and then spend like an hour editing it um, as well. And so it would just be hugely disappointing um, if that post was not paid for because you've spent hours of your life generating that content and then promoting that to your audience that you have again spent hours and hours, maybe 80% of your time, like I spoke of before, keeping that audience happy, generating content for them, engaging with them, answering their questions. Like you, those are owned assets and that makes complete sense that somebody should pay for an owned asset.
0: Hmm. But how do you know how much to pay? That's a scary thing, right?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that the industry is still, like as with any like starting out industry, there's going to be different ways to value content. I know that a lot of big influencer agencies use all different um, techniques to value their audience. So it might be based on conversions. Some people might pay based on conversions, like a percentage of that conversion, which is also difficult, though, because... How long would that, you know, last for? Because it could take three months for that customer to finally convert when they followed you from another influencer's page. So that is one way to um, stretch the value, but usually it's just payment for post. And once you start working with influencers, you can kind of get the general idea of how much payment for post might be. Like under 20,000 followers might be $50 to $100 a post, 50,000 followers might be kind of close to $100 to $200 a post. 100000 plus could be $200 to $500 a post. 500,000 followers plus would be over $1,000 easily a post. So there's kind of marking points that are there and present and you can kind of see those based off the other influencers that you're working with. But at the same time, if an influencer has a much more engaged community than usual, That less followers that creates incredible content that's very obviously theirs it's kind of like intellectual property at the same time like if an influencer has a very unusual content style that people can automatically identify with them and they are a kind of leader in their community then you should be willing to pay more to access that kind of influence. So it's those people that head up communities that are perfect macro kind of influencer so like I spoke about with like the Sydney foodie community. There's all different communities and there's all different leaders within those and identifying those leaders just by going um, and researching that community on social and seeing, you know, who has a very engaged page, who's followed by most of the other influencers within that community, who they're mentioning, who they're reposting, who they're hanging out with. That is kind of like I think of a community like a cluster on Instagram and you want to engage that cluster as a whole. So say, again, using the Sydney Foodie Cluster, if we engage LeapPan and a couple of bigger other macros, we'd want to engage maybe like 20, 10, 20 micros to each one macro influencer. And you might get the macro influencer to do their post first and then that inspires the content of micro influencers. Which, you know, like if you're going in the upwards of like five to ten thousand dollars a post, it obviously makes sense that rather than just having one post by somebody with five, you know, that costs five to ten thousand, you can have twenty to fifty posts of micro influencers with the same reach, but entirely different ways of accessing that kind of audience and customer base. But the reason that you want clusters is because similar audiences follow the same people. So like the same people follow those five influencers and they will see your product multiple times in different kind of, in different ways of showing that content. Like each influencer creates content unique to their feed and they'll be like, wow, every Sydney foodie is going to this one cafe right now. Like I need to go there. What's so special about it? Or like, every fashion blogger is wearing this unique jewellery company right now. Like I need to go check out what it is. And it's kind of garnering and generating that demand through repetition, but it's not repetition in terms of like, it's not annoying to see five times. It's not like seeing the same retargeting ad in your Facebook feed five times and being like, (laughs) I am deleting this brand and blocking them. (laughs) Like it's more like, wow, like everyone's doing this. So like often people say, yeah okay you have 17 million followers except what's the overlap between them and I'm like I couldn't care less if they're if it was 1 million people or 2 million people and they followed those accounts 17 different times then I don't mind because we generate different content for all those different accounts and we're approaching those people in 17 different ways and kind of the more that you're able to nurture them from all different angles all different ways with all different kind of value propositions is the way that your influencer marketing is going to convert the best?
0: Mm, yeah, no, that was gold. Channeling some real inner wisdom there. Okay,
1: so <laughs> I get a bit passionate about some of these things. No, right this is awesome.
0: No, no, it's it's awesome. No, this is great. Um, we have to work towards wrapping up, but I have a couple yeah, more questions. Is there a law of diminishing returns? Can you find, like, let's say, you use one influencer, you track it with hey, you you know, you're getting a really good ROI, and then you just want to keep going is there a law of diminishing returns where eventually your ROI becomes less and less and eventually doesn't work anymore?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, That will be quite transparent in our data as well. So that's one of the great things. You can kind of see the point where that's starting to drop off a lot and you might want to think about approaching a different influencer to work with at that stage. And just pausing that for a little bit as well if you pause a campaign and come back to it with an influencer later once they've got you know kind of some fresh new followers and it's not as repetitive within the one feed like it's great to have products that are repetitive throughout different feeds but you don't want them posting like your watch every single day like people will become sick of that they'll unfollow the influencer which is bad for them and they'll you know they'll build up kind of like that kind of resentment toward your brand, which is the last thing that you want. So there's definitely diminishing returns and there's also diminishing returns with influence as a whole for any product. So the reason that micro-influencers are so much more effective than a macro-influencer in terms of ROI as well is because often those micro-influencers, their feeds are so much more fresh. They're kind of like they're like gems. If you can find those little micro influencers that are growing really quickly and have hardly posted like much other branded content, and you work with them until the returns are diminishing a lot more, like that will be very obvious based just around metrics. So the measurement things, like whether you're getting as many followers, if you're using, you know, um, discount codes for example, like Daniel Wellington does really well. They'll do the like they'll do an influencer's name like. Greta 10 and that means you get 10% off by using that discount code like and that makes it quite trackable as well but then there's other brands that are like more affiliate and more um, referral software where they can track like things like cookies like where that person clicked from in the first place to then be able to identify that sale back to the influencer or there's like different brands like I think it's Olapic, it's called where it creates kind of like a shoppable feed on your Instagram and the last influencer photo that that person has clicked, the sale is attributed to them. But I don't really find that that helpful because yeah. they might have, you know, they might have clicked three different ones and then been like, yep, yeah, I've seen enough, that's okay. Not being like, oh, this photo made me buy the watch.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say I'm not a big fan of shoppable feeds. I, I guess, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, Yeah. yeah
1: they can be helpful. I mean, they work really well for like a lot of fashion brands where people just want to know what products are featured in that photo um, mm. because they're like, oh, I want to buy that top, you know, not the shorts, not the jewelry, you know, not the hat. I just want to buy that top. Um, and they can go and find that there. So like relevance wise, that's okay. But, and it's a good way of kind of connecting that digital social experience into your website experience as well, I guess. But I don't think it would work as well for like a brand like yours, for example, with founder at all. Like what we clicked this quote and then I wanted to do the course. The yeah. yeah, It's not the exact same yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, let's work towards wrapping up. You've channeled a lot of wisdom. Uh, shared have a lot of gold with us around influencer marketing, e-commerce branding, you name it. Um, So this is, as mentioned, like you do, um, we, we have been able to twist your arm to actually teach an e-commerce course, which I'm really, really excited about and team up with us. And it's going to be absolutely crazy, but, uh, we'll let you know, um, for everyone listening how you can find out more about that. And if you, if, if you want to find out more about, Hey, uh, how, how can you find out more?
1: Well, in the e-commerce course, I do a dedicated lesson on influencer marketing as an intro to influencer marketing and then I do another dedicated lesson on how to scale your influencer marketing using Hay specifically as a tool. And I think maybe we haven't quite gone through exactly what Hay does yet during this. Um, So basically, Hay is an end-to-end collaboration platform that allows you as a brand to collaborate with influencers across different demographics and search and filter influencers by demographics. So it's finding that right fit for an influencer, but it's campaign based at the same time. And our campaigns are templated. So basically you go in, you pick, you select the goal for your campaign. So that might be followers, like we've spoken about. It might be sales or it might be content might be a pre-launch and you just need a lot of content for your brand. So basically you go in, you create this campaign with the goals. We help guide you through those stages, which is really helpful for people that haven't really done influencer marketing before, or even people that have, that forget to be goals driven, um, which is often the case. I, sometimes just run a campaign and be like, oh, it's hard to track because I don't really know what I wanted, but I know that it was a good campaign because I got, you know, this and this out of it. And I'm like, well, that must have been my goal. So it's good to have that goal from the very start. So when you go in to create that campaign, you might create a content driven campaign. And you might just want to engage micro influencers for product for posts. So you can select the type of campaign, like you can say, wear our stuff or review a product or try something on or go to a restaurant, work out somewhere. There's all different types of campaigns to help you kind of like get those creative juices flowing. Like it's always harder to start with a blank canvas. Like we've just added some templates so that you're kind of able to start from somewhere. After you've created the campaign, it takes you through to finding your influences and those influences will appear subject to the demographic data that you've entered in the campaign like which platform you'd like to be working on whether the influences that you're looking for a male or female their kind of age group their interest groups which is like thus the niche pie aspect uh, the niches that they interact with so that might be health and fitness or lifestyle and travel or beauty or fashion um, and so once you've selected those, then you can go on to finding the right fit of influencer for your campaign. Um, And the cool part is as well, that if you've already done influencer marketing before, and you already have those pre-existing relationships, Hay acts as a, I like to call it an IRM, like a CRM, customer relationship management. This is an IRM, so influencer relationship management platform. So You can invite all the influencers that you've had previous relationships with to that campaign automatically as well, just by uploading a CSV or just inputting like the comma separated um, values yourself, like the emails and their first name. So kind of like a MailChimp, like your email automation software. That's basically the way that you go about finding and inviting influencers to the platform. And it's called Hey, because you hey somebody, you click the little hand and it waves and you've reached out to them. And the way that hey works is that it's kind of like a matchmaking tool in a way. It's kind of like Tinder crossed with influencer marketing because you both need to match to then go on to build that relationship together. It can't be just a brand has reached out to an influencer and now they're allowed to, you know, start negotiating price and value. The influencer has to have paid a brand back. So a brand can either hire an influencer or they can make that campaign public and influencers can begin haying them, which can also be um, kind of strategic for a brand because then you know the influencers that are interested in working with you. It's not like you've reached out first. They've kind of made the first move if we go back to the dating kind of example. So then it goes into the manage step and you can manage the relationship, discuss the deal, set the terms. Um, It's kind of a split screen where uh, on the left-hand side you're chatting with them that's kind of like a Facebook chat and on the right-hand side you're setting the terms. So how much you're going to pay the influencer which you can negotiate in the chat and they'll be able to send you their rate card and their address card as well. Um, so that you know exactly where you're sending the product and how much they generally charge for a post or for multiple posts. Um, So you get all that information just straight up, which is really helpful and it's all just stored in that one centralised kind of spot. And, of course, we'll be implementing kind of new features all throughout um, like daily downloadable um, CSVs where you can download all the shipping details from that day for the different influences that you then need to give to like your third-party logistics company or to your distribution company or to your distribution team within your company to send out all the product for the influencers that day. So we're just kind of trying to make the process as simplified as possible but at the same time have some things in there that allow for the complexities of any relationship. So the discuss element where you can chat to an influencer is really helpful because that's where you can kind of build your relationship and I think like the main Two pieces of advice I'd give when relationship building with influencers is to um, flatter them and make them feel relevant. So like, you know, I love your feeds. you know, I love kind of the healthy lifestyle that you live. So I think that would be really, you know, relevant to our audience as well. So just having an understanding of who they are and then that takes you to the second point, which is kind of that personalization. Don't just be like, hey, insert first name, We'd love to work with you, (laughs) you know, like that's so transparent and they realize that they're not, you know, kind of anything special or relevant to your brand. And then I'd also say as a third one, I just thought of, um, again, giving them that creative freedom to do what they do and to communicate with their audience in their language with your message. They're still able to communicate your message but in their language, like that's what influencers do best. So it's giving them that creative freedom to create the visuals um, and the text that they need. Yeah, so that's kind of the way that Hay works. In a nutshell, there's those three steps. So you create a campaign, you find the influences for that campaign, then you manage that relationship. And then it takes you to kind of you can... Um, confirm their post you can give it a green light saying look I already trust your judgment I know the type of content that you create I know your tone of voice and I know that you'll stick to you know the campaign boundaries so I'm going to green light your post and once you've posted it'll be I'll get a notification saying influencer has posted and the payment will automatically be released the other thing is that If you haven't worked with an influencer before and there isn't kind of that trust and pre-relationship and their content might be a little bit all over the place, some photos are like kind of hideous, but then some are good, then a good way to do it is to use pre-approval. So what happens is the influencer submits the post through to you, you pre-approve that content once you've been sent it, once you've seen the exact caption and the image. And if their image deviates from that or if the caption deviates too far from that, we will be able to hold that payment in escrow uh, while that dispute is resolved. So whether the influencer posts again with what they um, initially said or whether the brand has refunded their money back into their account because A, the influencer hasn't posted at all within the time frame, or B, they've posted something completely off-brand and out of line that's kind of the security that pay gives you over just interacting like over email because we are able to kind of hold that payment so that was a really big pain point for brands like influencers going off the radar, you know, they might suddenly decide that they're going to go to Croatia for a month or something, which actually isn't (laughs) that unusual, (laughs) and not post for you when the campaign's already over and it was a pre-launch and they've missed it, but they won't refund your money. (laughs) We've got so Mm. many pending payments um, to influencers that haven't done the work for us and there's no way to really get that money back. So, And then from an influencer's point of view too, brands, if they pay them over PayPal, because it's a digital kind of transaction, there's no real way to prove that that was what was transacted. So an influencer doesn't have that security either because a brand might get the post from an influencer and then charge back the amount, which I think was happening a little bit with some kind of dodgy little e-commerce companies, like protein companies and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've heard those stories too. So wrapping this all together Hey, it's quite a complex platform. I can probably that much... talk about it for three years. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, but no, it sounds amazing. I'm I'm keen to. I've seen beta. It it looks in, insane. I'm keen to test it out and start using it for everything that we do. So, how can people find out more?
1: Where do they go? Yeah. So, um, to find out more, our website is just say hey dot co. If you're an influencer, you can search Hey Influencers in the App Store. We're still creating our Android version at the moment. So we're just on the Apple Store at the moment for influencers. Or brands can sign up via Co. So just, J-U-S-T, say, S-A-Y, hey, H-E-Y, like hello, dot uh, co. So that's our website, or I'm sure that you can um, just do some Google searches around hay influences and you'll find our website.
0: Awesome. Well, um, Greta, this is an awesome conversation. So much gold shared. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time. So thank you so much for coming back for a second time round.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me, Nate. It was great.
0: Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview.